undercurrent. these closed off borders I'm creating something that's like coming directly into our space you know kind of a inverse in some some sense that's artist Michael Villarreal describing the three pieces he has in the current show at undercurrent after light curated by undercurrent co-director Dynamatis Michael is joined by four other artists Megan Stray Ashley Jonas Sar Shemesh and Elizabeth Roth with me today is undercurrents Adriana Furlong at the opening on October 3rd, we had a chance to catch up with some of the artists and visitors and ask them about the show. The show closes on November 9th, giving you three more weekends to come into 70 John Street and see the show. Please go to undercurrent70.org for more information. Mattis opens the show's description, noting that windows have a universal impact. They let light in, frame our view of the exterior, act as portals into another space, and aptly provide an escape and exit. We then asked people how they saw the theme and the framework of what Mattis told them, and light in general. Well, Dinah initially talked about the space itself and how it's underground and wanting to put windows back in this space without windows. I really was starting to think about the idea of reflection, so the way that light is either reflected or absorbed by certain materials and how that can create a really interesting and uncomfortable and also comfortable tension within materials and also within different planes of space. The theme of the show is windows, right? The theme of the show, I mean, the theme is like like light and windows and how you perceive um, whether you're looking in or looking out. I mean, I think... Uh, I mean, of course, all artists paint with light or work with light or, I mean, light is always a primary component of anything. Um, but, you know, uh, there's this repetition of patterns that, uh, you know, bear um, uh, reference to different sort of outdoor activities or uh, like still lifes, which harken back to this idea of, uh, I thought of like Curascuro, uh with the Dutch still lives, um, kind of taking a contemporary manner. Yeah, it's really impressive. It, it's very well hung. There's lots of space between the pieces, so you get to see them in isolation. And uh, they're thematically connected, which is unusual. And, uh, and there's lots of light, it's really good space. Some of the works actually create their own shadows because of the way that the light is hitting them. Some of the works play with light or utilize light in order to make different values and different shadows. Uh, and I'm really just kind of looking around at the work right now because this is the first time that I've seen the show as a whole. So, like, that's a completely different gig, right? It's like you can conceptualize something, but until you look and, and, and see uh, all the work together. But the windows also position the gallery within a space of comfort and domesticity in a way that relates to Mattis's own work. This domesticity can also elicit feelings of warmth and memory for homes long gone. Seems like it's pretty prominent as I like look around and examine like each piece, that all of them have this 
almost softer tone, like looking, searching for comfort in, its, in, the, in the materials that were used in a way. Yeah, they're subtle and they're warm. So it's not a lot of primary colors, which you tend to see in other shows. It isn't, it isn't in your face. I, well, I understand the theme of the show in terms of really kind of understanding the curator Dynamatis's sensibility and interest in her own work, which is um, taking on uh, domestic themes that have multiple reads and multiple practices. And so um, a lot of the work involved uh, is very multimedia because uh, media kind of inherently has certain connotations with it, art historically, um, and also in terms of how we view this media in everyday life, so. Running parallel to the themes of domesticity is the way that the materiality and textures of the work reemphasize their familiarity within the home, while also decontextualizing them beyond by just putting them in an art institutional setting. But I also see something a little bit more attuned to like what materials are used. So all of these materials have a, a similar way of like using uh, what may not be considered useful anymore. Um, which is a little bit different. I think they uh, specifically talked about using things, um, materials like ceramics or even, I think there's like, a, not vinyl, but like that sort of like layer of wood that's usually used to make wood look like a different type of wood. Uh, veneer, perhaps. How they're used in a way that like, just giving them life again. The work in this show, similarly, uh, you know, deals with this these bright palettes and these familiarities that are kind of suspect because of how decontextualized they are um, and how much the artist's hand is present in the work uh, kind of uh, brings notion uh, the idea of the domestic arts and the value of craft and uh, the value that we place on uh, labor in general versus the sort of things that we purchase and the spaces that we inhabit that um, we kind of just take for granted in being this nebulous uh, market value. Michael Villarreal from Austin, Texas. Michael has three pieces in the show. One that greets visitors as they enter, A Little Birdie Told Me, and two in the main space, Stillhorn and Conflict One. All three are sculptural foam works that play on the idea of Venetian blinds interrupted. A Little Birdie Told Me has a single tongue-like protrusion between the slats, whereas Stillhorn's entire bottom is torn apart by moiré burgundy liver. Finally, Conflict One's blinds are displaced by a bluish plane. My work kind of is basically consistent of like uh, these, these kind of bulbous, like uh, almost sometimes anthropomorphic uh, uh, household objects. And so within that work and out of the series, I have three Venetian blinds in the show. Yeah. So I have this background in painting, and so when I was kind of working on, when I work on these, I kind of think about that idea of like this window that opens to this like other world, you know, thinking about like maybe, uh, you know, these like notions within like the Renaissance and how they create these spaces, you know, within, you know, within these like borders of a painting. And kind of looking at Venetian blinds and thinking about the window, um, I kind of wanted them to reference this idea of painting in, in, in some, some sense. Um, I always thought like the, the cheap like Venetian blinds always had these like characteristics, especially within the slats um, and just how they kind of break. Um, they, they felt like very malleable and also brought these sort of characteristics that I thought I can like really push and 
kind of reference painting in, in that sort of way. And so kind of bringing out this kind of opposite idea of, rather than like making a, a world, you know, within this like, like closed off, like within these closed off borders, I'm creating something that's like coming directly into our space, you know, kind of an inverse in some, some sense. And then you have Michael's work, um, who is this very odd take on Windows using this sort of nonsensical foam material, which is not structurally sound. Yeah, I was talking about what the medium he uses is. I thought it was really interesting to the fact that he's like carving into insulation foam. And he said it's kind of similar to how they make uh, Mardi Gras floats. So, um, but I, I really like that style. It almost looks like it's like coming through the wall here. The shapes become very organic and very uh, crafty in a way, uh, but the structure of them holds a lot of mystery into what the material is. And it kind of takes on the idea of how we interact with viewing the outside world from an interior space uh, in a very strange way. Kind of reminds me of a, almost like a Tim Burton like Beetlejuice sensibility. To kind of create something that is still kind of sculpture, still relief, but I like to maybe think of them as like almost also this kind of familiarity towards painting as well, uh, especially due to like some of the more kind of drippy, more bulbous kind of aspects to them. Because like, I, I feel like oil paints can like really be built up into like almost whatever you want them to be. I, I've, I was building these these abstract paintings that came off the surface of like the canvas, you know, about four inches um, and made the painting much deeper than, you know, what we probably normally see within a painting. And I wanted to push that, that, that kind of idea with these works. And that's how I began to like kind of move into these more sculptural elements within a lot of these wall paint, wall, wall pieces like, that you see here. One thing I, I did think was interesting though, I was talking to him about how he kind of developed this style and he said he was initially adding a ton of oil paint uh, to his, his works and then he eventually just said like, why am I adding all this oil paint? I'm going to start just like carving away from this insulation instead. So he kind of, his style kind of developed in this new direction, which I think is cool. Um, I think with Impasto a lot of the times the connotation with it is that the artist is kind of messily scraping paint onto a surface and I appreciate how Michael goes about it in a more you know formatted way and so that he's trying to create almost a sculpture out of the paint which is something that we I think we could have seen traces of in Rodney's work but is much more evident in Michael's uh, you know window pieces. I, I like this kind of like idea of like this, this weird kind of abstraction of, of light or like, you know, it's like this, also this kind of idea of like, you, maybe sometimes you don't know what's behind, you know, the, those, those, those certain objects. I have my dad who would always like get up at night and like kind of peek through the slats, you know, because he's kind of paranoid at times living in rural Texas and like uh, wanting to see like what the hell that noise was that he heard, you know, out the window. Um, and so like kind of those ideas in a sense kind of come into my mind when, when I'm like making these, like, you know, what is this sort of like weird entity or this like, I don't know, this thing that's like, you know, peering behind the, uh, the blinds or, or even just like this abstraction of light too in, in some sense, which is kind of how I kind of developed that, the, the, uh, the piece called Conflict over there with the, uh, the blue square. Just this kind of like, I like the way kind of light has this prominence, 
like like from behind the blinds. You know, it's this thing that's like often brighter, uh, uh, um, and they have yeah, and it's like way more in focus. You know, so in terms of that square there, you know, I call it conflict just due to the fact that it's kind of breaking like this pattern that you know we're sort of familiar with to see, and then it then it turns out to be this like kind of like flat, kind of minimal, you know, shape that's kind of embedded into the 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 surface. I'm really impressed by all of Michael's pieces. I think, yeah, he's just really blown me away with how he treats his paintings as a sculptural object and challenges the idea of a 2D form. Um, I'm Megan Stray. I'm originally from Corpus Christi, Texas, but I live in Brooklyn now. Megan Stray also has three pieces, Rugged, Pattern Recognition, and Parallel Planter. The works are collages made of accessible materials sourced from dollar stores, such as vinyl, latex, and home furnishing printed textiles. The shapes are irregular, and in tension with each other, giving each piece a rhythm and movement, slipping along the spectrum between two and three dimensions. Rugged superimposes plaids of black, purple, and pink across two competing planes. Pattern recognition expands the palette and pattern inventory with a playful grid interfering with colorful floral prints. Finally, Parallel Planter, the oldest work in the series, greets the viewer at the bottom of the undercurrent stairway and shows the constraints the artist put on herself with a more limited palette. Um, and my work deals a lot with different domestic objects, just in our, you know, private spaces. And um, um, lately I've been using a lot of patterns from textiles that are traditionally found in the home. So like floral prints or plaids, ginghams. I source a lot from vintage home interior books, how to outfit your house. Um, and then I also, a lot of the, the shapes of the parts of the work kind of reference domestic objects like uh, sort of still life or um, rugs. I've been thinking a lot about rugs, <laughs> carpeting. I mean, yes, this could be a tablecloth, but it isn't. It's a little um, tense for a tablecloth, right? It just strikes me as novel. I haven't seen anything like it. Um, I mean, I see things like it here, but I would recognize it anywhere. It's just got a certain kick to it and a novelty. Right. I've been, I guess, in terms of windows with the pieces that I have, I was thinking a lot about window treatments. So, like, the fabric that goes around the windows and kind of the grandiosity of that and kind of questioning like why we do that or also the presentation of presenting your home to someone else like guests and entertaining. I've been interested lately in so pulling from found uh, prints on textiles but then also creating my own and then kind of complicating the space more by um, maybe kind of mimicking the pattern myself but on top of it. I kind of like how you're, the viewer is referencing the original fabric but then also trying to reconcile the surface on top. I think that's my way of kind of connecting the different elements but I also like how it's, it kind of tricks your eye in a funny way. I, my background's in printmaking, so I have started printing on things, but I like how flat the space can be, but still reference a three-dimensional object. I kind of like the idea of morphing between spaces where it can feel like you're looking down on something, but then you can also look closer in and explore. I don't know, I'm, I've kind of always been interested in 
the relationship between a space and an object in the things that I've been making. I am pulling from different elements. Sometimes they're still lifes in a book. Sometimes it's pieces of fabric or actual objects themselves. And then, yeah, picking a, a different view of that thing to represent and put it together. They're referencing a space or a place without directly referencing it, which I think is really nice. It, it, it reminds me as if a, a Brock painting came to life, was, was more contemporary and then got even more flattened out, but still has that 3D sense in that she is collaging and she is moving paper and fabric around. You know, playful approach to something that is actually has a lot of gravity. My name's Ashley Jonas, and I live in Dayton, Ohio. Ashley Jonas has two sculptural pieces, Return Inside Out and Swim Speed Children. Presented in the round, the works invite contemplation and interaction from every angle, especially in how the light works with the negative space. Largely wooden frames, both pieces also have blue ceramic flourishes and accents provided by other materials typically associated with the garden, such as chicken wire. Return Inside Out recalls the skeleton of a countryside mailbox with an undulating blue ceramic piece below it cascading down the supporting legs while also giving the illusion of providing its own structural support. In Swim Speed Children, a half-inflated balloon made of ceramic invites the viewer to grab and squeeze it like a bicycle horn, making the green vinyl streamer attached to it flutter in the wind. Uh, it's a combination of uh, you know, found material, and um, ceramics, and I didn't know that she was originally mostly a ceramicist. Um, some, an interesting point that was made about her work is that Clay's mantra is of many lives, which also is kind of the mantra of uh, reclaiming material to turn it into something that's decontextualized and made into an art object. Um, so I like that she combines something that ceramic, which originally, I think, I think historically, has more of a craft element to it, in more modern times uh, has gained a lot more traction as being a fine art medium. And uh, I think she's kind of riffing on that by making these amorphic forms out of, um, out of ceramic, which is a really delicate, really uh, uh, masterful and uh, labor-intensive material, and then combining it with things that uh, are completely not, and integrating them in a way that uh, you know, creates sort of a oneness out of all of it, but does include that tension between the art object as craft and the art object as uh, high art. Yeah, the ceramic is almost like the cherry on top, where it's something that you discover, which, you know, sort of surprises uh, with the elements it integrates that um, seem very disjointed. So I think that what I like about it is that most of the material that she uses is really indelicate. I mean, it's, you know, reclaimed wood. It's um, uh, some sort of like, a, looks like a garden framing. I, don't, I mean, I can't tell you what most of it is because it's been so decontextualized. Uh, maybe some sort of a chicken wire or I don't know. So a lot of it is are these things that are very masculine sort of handled, very handled material and then the clay uh, you know, the, 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 the ceramic element kind of pushes you back from that. So you have this inclination to go further in but uh, I think you get when you get up close to them, you get rewarded by seeing that because it's not something that's readily apparent in the material from far away because I think you just kind of uh, tend to accept it as being this assemblage. Um, but the accent of the clay kind of keeps you at arm's length and uh, uh, reminds you that what you're looking at is, uh, you know, not to be handled. 
just the integration of different elements is always going to make you want to want to touch it. <laughs> the pieces, like mine pieces, are that you cannot. You have to continuously be be considerate of your body, uh, whether or not that's your like you projecting your interaction of your body through this. Like I think always about reaching into that one spot where the uh, the wire has been cut and it's dangerous. I think about reaching through that and how that might be like a little dangerous or it might kind of hurt you. Um, but walking around it, seeing through it, letting light interact with it. I mean, I think seeing through it is a big thing. Like these works you can see through. You can go onto the other side of them. You can go onto any side of them and see through them. Sara Samesh has one piece in the show, Louis. A cast stretched out, cast in bronze, rests upon an electric blanket at the entrance, like a bodega cat recharging after a long day guarding Kit Kats. Light as warmth and life prompts the viewer to approach Louis and do more than just see. Typically cold, distant, and untouchable, bronze is tossed upside down in a sprawling feline form, representing physical and emotional warmth. Almost an offering or an altarpiece to life, Louis is the only piece in the show that explicitly deals with ideas of light in a tactile sense, inviting pets from viewers now turned into petters. The one that stands out the most to me is the, the cat in the hallway. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it looks like a possibly ceramic cat laying on a, like an electric blanket, so it kind of gives off a gentle warmth. Yeah. Did you, did you pet the cat? I, I felt I did not touch the cat, but I did try to feel if the electric blanket was on and hot. So I did want to see if it was giving off warmth. Finally, Elizabeth Ross's Vials is aptly titled. A piece of transparent fabric, the vials trace is left behind in five cyanotypes, or leaving a residue of a barrier where light could not get through. The cyanotypes on paper exist almost in a dream, caught between the ephemeral and its physical rectangular composition, the nondescript shapes float in and out of vision. With the other work in the show having a very physical presence, Roth's work approaches light as it exists, as a thought or a fleeting feeling. These works reside in the spaces between, pirouetting in our subconscious. The cyanotype pieces that are on the wall here, these feel really, really ephemeral, and you can't necessarily think about yourself uh, like reaching out to touch them. They almost feel like a thought or a dream or, uh, or some sort of memory or, or almost like the breath of light and the breath of folding and the breath of reflection and the breath of, I don't know, maybe the breath of light? I really like this piece. Why is that? Uh, I just like the way the light reflects on the color. I don't know, it just reminds me of uh, my childhood when I used to go to the lake, certain reflections on the water surface. It reminds me exactly of the same pattern, except this blue is a lot darker, but yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah, something that I can relate to, at least, in imaging. Which lake? Uh, so this is all the way in Dominican Republic in Jarabacoa, and it's very, very far away. So I wish I can go more often, but I'm very far from that right now. All this reminds me of it, so that's nice. I'm Rafael, and I'm from New York. My name is Jared Lingi. I uh, 
am from San Diego, California originally, and I live in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Lisa Guevara from Austin, Texas now, technically. Victoria Espinosa, and now technically from New York. I'm Mike from uh, Ridgewood, New York. I'm Nicholas Arnold, and I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Max Gottesman, and I'm from the Upper West Side in Manhattan. Adriana Furlong, I'm from New York, 